Good morning. To greet you in the name of Jesus, the one we've been studying about through this series. Um, I appreciated the service this far. I think we could have went on with our Sunday school through this time. I'm not sure we got past the introduction in the first verse, maybe. So I uh, enjoyed the service greatly this morning. We are going to continue the series this morning, and this morning we've reached the pinnacle of this series of God's plan of salvation, and this is a message that sparked my interest for me personally to preach through this series, and it's been a blessing to study through all these messages, and I know I've not come close to exhausting the Word of God. And if I would ask you, most likely all of you could tell me of key verses and points that I missed as we went through these, this series, but, and you'd be correct. But that's the wonderful thing about this book. It never runs dry. And the beauty of brotherhood where we can, through the Holy Spirit, each one of us can make this word come alive. And I was told the same topic was used here Wednesday evening, a week or week and a half ago maybe. I wasn't here. I was here, but I was teaching the class in the basement. But I'm not going to apologize for this, but for the same reason the Holy Spirit can work through each person and through any subject. The message this morning is repentance with godly sorrow. Repentance is like that middle link that ties the complete plan of salvation together. It holds both sides of what we've already looked at and what will follow after in this series. If this link is missing or weak, it's very likely you will tend to drift from one ditch, one side of the road to the other. And you could say this rides the crown in the middle of the road that keeps us in the middle. In the last message, we did a brief study on faith with the Mother's Day sermon, and we need that faith to get to repentance. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Faith in the Christ, in Christ's atonement, his blood that saved me. Faith in Christ's redemption through his blood that I am redeemed or bought back to to God. But faith without repentance is dead. James 2.19, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. And then if we step to the other side of repentance, we have conversion, justification, sanctification, adoption through Jesus. These things are a result of repentance. And if we try to use our own good works and our own strength to live a life that appears to others as someone that is converted 
or is in the sanctification process, it is likewise dead and leads to life of hypocrisy. Second Corinthians 7 is going to be our text this morning, but I'm going to open with reading a few passages, the opening messages of John the Baptist, of Jesus, and of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3, 1 to 3, in those days John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist, before Jesus started his ministry, was preparing the way for him with the message of repentance. At the end of verse 3, he ends with, Make his path straight. What he was preaching was to set a course or to set the arrow on a flight that at the end would hit the mark. So that when, when one chooses that path, he is guided straight and will arrive at that desired destination. And then Jesus' words in the beginning of his ministry, Matthew four seventeen, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <clears throat> And then in the middle of his ministry in Luke 13, verse 3 and verse 5, say exactly the same thing. I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And Jesus, at the end of his ministry, just before he ascended into heaven, he was talking to his disciples there. And I only have verse uh, Luke 24, verse 47 here, but it was in the context of that. Of, of his ascension, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. <clears throat> beginning at Jerusalem. Where is Jerusalem? And I like one man's thought on this. It is at home. Jerusalem was there, was what they knew. It was their, their beginning, their home. And it's, it was there that they were supposed to start to preach us repentance. And then we go out into the rest of the world. And that's what we want to do here this morning. Second Corinthians 7, I'm going to be reading verse 8 through 11. <clears throat> for though I made you sorry with a letter, I did not repent. Though I did repent, for I... Perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry for a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, the selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourself to be clear 
in this matter. We're going to look at this message in two parts, and then we're going to come back to this this passage that I read. The first is what repentance is not, and the second, what repentance is, true repentance is. The first one, I think it's one that we're all very clear on. Repentance does not happen when we join a church. Joining a church is a privilege, and it's a good thing for each one of us as we become Christians that we become part of this body where we are accountable to each other. But it's not a substitute for repentance. Becoming a church member, if you're living in sin, can actually make it easier to continue to live in that sin and not be questioned. It gives those looking on a false picture of this person's life and it's a way to cover up sin. And we could go on with fruits. By their fruits you shall know them. Most times it will come out in the fruit. Repentance is not just a reform or a change of mind. A person can come to the place where he makes a decision to change his life and live differently. A gambler can decide he has enough of money and gives up gambling, but will still cherish it in his heart. And a person can live in any manner of sexual sin and leave that lifestyle and never sorrow over that sin and repent. And this can be the same with any other idle addiction sin in our lives. We can change our habits without having a heart change. Tears and sorrow for sins committed is not repentance. It's not always true repentance. There are many people who are suffering from sins they committed, and they have regrets and remorse, but no repentance. And there's tears of grief, not from dishonoring God, but because of the results that they will have to live with in their lives. And we have examples of this in the Bible. One being Esau in uh, Genesis 27, when he went to his father, went to Jacob to be blessed. And his brother Jacob had already received that blessing. And you read Genesis 27, 38, and then also 41. And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And then jumping down to 41, And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father at hand, then will I slay my brother Jacob. And we know there's, before this, these verses, there's also other things that happened. There was lying and deception on other people's parts of this uh, story. But we are told that Esau despised his birthright and he sold it to Jacob for a pot of soup. And it wasn't until this event that he realized what all this was going to mean. 
Jacob had received the blessing that he was looking forward to as the oldest son. And he wept bitterly for that decision. But behind those tears was anger and an oath to kill his brother Jacob after his father died. And he shed tears not for his sin, but for his penalty for his sin. We can look at Saul when uh, David could have taken his life in the cave. 1 Samuel 24, 16 through 18. And it came to pass when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul that Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded the evil. And thou hast showed this day that thou hast dwelt, hast dealt with me, hast dealt well with me, and for as much as when the Lord hath delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. Did Paul, did Saul repent of his sin? Was he a changed man after he wept these tears? And I think we all know the story. He acknowledged his sin. He knew that David was following God and that he himself had failed and he felt remorse and regrets, but he continued in that jealousy and that bitterness that he was experiencing against David. Just confession is not repentance. A person can confess a sin and keep on sinning. And it can happen after sin is found out or because of his conscience is bothering him. He can make the choice to confess with no desire to stop sinning. I wasn't sure how much to share this morning on personal experiences, but on Friday as I listened to a message that was being preached at a minister's meeting on how to shepherd our young people. And this man's plea was to share our stories over the pulpit. Our young people need to know our stories and our struggles that we had. You know, we might be 15, 20 years older than what you are, but that's just a few years. We were at the same place that you are. And I need these messages as much as you do this morning. I was in my upper teens and my conscience was bothering me. I was knowingly disobeying our church standards, rebelling against them. I was involved with movies, movie theaters. And we didn't have smartphones at that time. We didn't have these things at our fingertips. And I I made the choice to <clears throat> contact the bishop there with the desire to make this right and also made a public confession of this. And it wasn't but a few weeks or months later when a, when a group of, of hunting friends... We slept in a motel and I took 
part in the same thing that I had uh, just made a confession for. And someone who challenged me about this later, how could you do this after the confessing that it was wrong? And I remember that challenge hit me very hard. It forced me to look at my motives and figure out why I did what I did. And I wasn't totally able to sort through everything at that point. And I didn't have an answer. And it did not end this thing that I was dealing with at that point. But later I began to see that I was living a double standard. Life at home was one standard and life away from home was a total different standard. What changes with who I am and who I identify with when I go away? Does God move? Does right and wrong move? Does my obedience change when I'm not around the people I identify with? What was wrong with my confession? It was empty. And it was done to appease my conscience. Why did Judas take the money, the price of betraying Jesus back to the high priest? And did he repent? And I did not give this example to push church standards. I know churches vary. But it's the, the thought of where I started with that a confession on the basis of, with no repentance attached is empty. What is repentance? First of all, we need to clear up the English translation of the word repent. We have two Greek words translated to the same English word repent or repentance in the King James Bible. And one of them being metalomony. And this word would have the uh, definition of regret or remorse. And then we have metanoia, which is the word repent, is, is uh, translated to the word repent we're using here this morning. A reversal of one's decision to repent, to turn away from something, a total change from what we were doing. And the best example we can use for these two words is looking at two men. Both of these men betrayed Jesus with different endings. The first being Judas and the second one Peter. Matthew 27, 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Repentant, in, in verse 3, 
is better translated regret. Regret it or remorseful. When he saw that Jesus was condemned to die, he, it, it appears like he realized that his actions were playing a part in Jesus' death and, and he all of a sudden realized that, that what was actually going to happen here. And his conscience smote him and he felt this regret, this remorse, and it led him to the high priest to make this confession of what he did. And it's possible that he thought that if he confesses his wrongdoing, that they would change their mind and believe him that he is innocent. But they didn't. So what does he do? He threw down the money and went out and hung himself. And I'm certain there would have been opportunity for Judas to find true repentance and Jesus would have forgiven him. But he succumbed to the sorrow of the world which worketh death. Coming from Corinthians 7.10. He could not live with the regret that he felt and what he had done. And it is possible that his entire time spent with Jesus was a life of hypocrisy. Peter, on the other hand, wept tears of godly sorrow. We do not read of Peter's actual repentance that I could think of anyway, but we know it happened. We have no doubt. In Acts 2, he stood up before thousands of people and proclaimed the name of Christ, the one he had betrayed a little bit before that. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. What is repentance with godly sorrow? True repentance happens when we see a holy God and then we see our sins. And we realize that my sin is going to separate me from God. And with that comes a grief that we have we have sinned and we have grieved God or sinned against God or man and this is going to forever separate us from this holy God. We have examples of this as wherever men came face to face with God and we read of their confession which brought on repentance. And a common one that we know very well is Isaiah 6, 5. When he seen God in the temple, said, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You can turn to Job 40. In the last chapter of Job, there's a few verses that seem like God wanted to get Job's attention. It would appear like, like Job in his, in all the verses prior to these last few, he was trying to, he was wishing God would come and vindicate him in front of his friends that were judging him. And you could almost get the picture that maybe there was some, some arrogance there of, of how he thought of himself, or some pride, of of who 
he felt he was compared to his friends, and he wanted God to prove his innocence. In Job 38 is when God started speaking. It says the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. And he goes through verse after verse challenging Job on things that he should try and answer about himself. He was asking him hard questions. Then in verse four, chapter 40, verses 1 through 6, we have a little dialogue with God directed with Job there. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no farther. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, and again he continues with these these things for Job to consider of, of who, who he is talking to, who God really is. And we get to uh, chapter 42 and also read 1 through 6. This is where Job gave his final answer. And he was no longer blindsided by his friend's faults, but he found himself, only him, needing to answer God. This had nothing to do with his friends anymore. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by thy hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes seeth thee. Behold, I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. So he found himself at a place where he no longer was looking around him, but he found himself directly face to face with a holy God. And he had this confession that God was all powerful and he had spoken words without understanding and he told God to instruct him and he will listen. And then in verse 6, he said, basically said that he hates himself and he repents in dust and ashes. God had brought him to the place that he wanted him. He humbled him. God did go on to judge Job's friends. But before he did that, he brought Job. He humbled him before, before God with the godly sorrow and repentance. Did he hear what God told his friends? He may have because we haven't recorded, but it was no longer his focus. His focus was on that personal relationship with God. True repentance is taking responsibility for our sins, our own sins. We cannot play victim and have true repentance 
We are always responsible for our actions. Second Samuel twelve seven, when Nathan came to see David after his sin with Bathsheba, and Nathan said to David, Thou art the man, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And then verse 13, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. How do we know that David experienced true repentance and godly sorrow? Take the time and read Psalms 51 sometime and observe how many times David used the words me and my and I. When Nathan came to David, he acknowledged his sin against God and against Uriah, Bathsheba. And he felt that his relationship with God was not like it was before. He had lost that connection and there was a separation because of that sin and he wanted that relationship back again. In just a few verses in, in Psalms 51, wash me thoroughly with, from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David took full responsibility for his actions. He did not blame any part of that sin on anyone else. I also listened to a sermon a few weeks ago and the speaker made the same observation with the prodigal son who did not play the victim even though he probably could have. He probably would have many reasons against his father or against his brother at why he left home. Luke fifteen seventeen to 21 And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough in despair and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no worthy to be called thy son. Make me one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Whatever had happened at the beginning of that story did not come up. He took full responsibility for his actions. True repentance is hating sin and forsaking it. I was working with a customer one day and he began talking about his teenage son seemed like they had a, a very good relationship, but he was disappointed in some of the things that his son was involved in. And he made a comment that stayed with me. He said that his son needs to come to the place that he hates sin. 
And why do we need to hate sin? Sin is what separates us from God, and that should be enough to give us a hate for it. And hate for something that brings godly sorrow will lead us to forsake it. If we don't hate sin, we can quit doing sin or something in our lives because of our conscience or for other reasons, and it will not repair our relationship with God. Most likely that sin is still in our heart. We need to hate the idols and addictions and sin that is, that is in our lives first. And then we use the accountability in other ways to overcome and gain victory in these things. Repentance is a command. Acts 17.30 And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Back to our opening verses. Repentance was, repentance was preached by John the Baptist, by Jesus multiple times, and through the book of Acts. And what brings repentance? It's by seeing the goodness of God and seeing our righteousness as filthy rags and also by hearing the truth. Let's go back to our text in 2 Corinthians 7. This incident here is, I have not studied into it. It's thought that it's maybe a third letter that we do not have in the Bible that Paul was referring to here. It, uh, something that was taking place in the Corinthian church. <clears throat> and Paul tells them that he regretted that he had to write this letter. And there again, uh, I think he uses the word repent. But you can replace that with with regret. And the reason that he regretted writing it was not because he didn't want them to know the truth, but that he knew that when they heard the truth, it was going to bring them sorrow. But he knew that the sorrow would only be for a short season. And the things that he needed to write to them would be painful. And he goes on in verse 9 that even though he regretted to write this to them, he's now, I now rejoice. And I'm, he said, I'm not rejoicing because of the sorrow that it brought you, but because of what the sorrow did. The sorrow that they experienced brought them back, brought about repentance. Their sorrow caused them grief. When they realized that they were wrong in whatever Paul was pointing out, it appears like it would have been in the context of of something that was happening within the Corinthian church that was either being ignored or that they were ignorant of. And even though it was going to be painful, Paul knew it was for their benefit. 
He goes on to verse 10, which this morning I'd say is our, our key verse. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. When they heard the truth that Paul wrote to them, they repented with godly sorrow unto salvation. It was to the saving of their souls is the reason that Paul didn't hesitate or hold back from causing them this pain and giving them the truth. But that the the pain and the truth in this letter would bring about godly sorrow. And when they realized their sin, that they were grieving God, and this sorrow brought on uh, repentance to salvation. It saved them. In verse 11, it's, it, it's a little hard to, to uh, read into, but if you have the time, read it in another translation in the Amplified. Or, but this repentance didn't stop with knowing the truth, but it brought action. And we can read over that again in verse 11. For behold, the selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge, in all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. After they knew the truth, they could not go on until they did something about it. And this, this verse 11 gives these, these uh, word pictures of, of the, the strong desire, the zeal, the revenge, or the punishment that needed to happen to clear the church of that sin and to clear themselves before a holy God. In every case of true repentance, there is a change of mind, a change of feelings, a change of attitude towards sin and righteousness, and a change of heart. Always. We go back to verse 10. We have this interesting phrase, what not to be repented of. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. And the best way I could think to explain that is, uh, I'm sure most of you listened to the, the Ash family funeral. The ones, I think there was eight of them maybe, the, the group that sang. Uh, YouTube has their the funeral message with them singing and the sermons. With that, and the one minister said it with these words about true repentance. It's a sorry that is never sorry that it was sorry. True repentance is a sorry that is never sorry that it was sorry. You will never hear someone on their deathbed repent of their true repentance. There are many people that lament their sins on their deathbed. 
I don't think I can close this message without mentioning the result of no repentance. I read the question somewhere this week of, is the church failing to warn of the reward of unrepentant sin? Have we watered the scripture to a point that we do not speak of the reward of sin? The verses I read from Luke 13, 3 and 5, the verses that are the same of Jesus speaking, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And it was in the context of people asking him about the death. I'm not sure if it was Pilate or who it was that had mingled the blood of these people. And they were asking Jesus if it was their sins, if it was because the sins that they had committed that they perished. And Jesus answered twice with these words. I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. We will all die a physical death, but we do not need to experience the second death. When we repent, our sins go to God before the judgment. And these sins will be forgiven. But if we don't repent, our sins will follow us to the judgment. And it is these sins that follow us that will condemn us. Verse 10, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. A commentary said it this way, worldly sorrows tends to undermine health. Shorten life and hurry men to the second death. If we remain in that sin, even though we can cover it up, but it's still there, there is, there's remorse, there's regrets, but it's never repented of, it tends to pull us down, pull us down, and pull us down. If we remain in our sin, we die spiritually, physically, and after the judgment, the last death, which is the death of the lake of fire. There's only two choices, and it's very simple, and it's our choice, what will it be, heaven or hell? But the good news this morning is we never have to end a sermon on a negative note because we have this lively hope and this promise of John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that you serve a satisfied God this morning? We cannot do anything to earn her way to him. And God never intended that we that he be viewed as a harsh God with a big stick. That is the view that we get when our sin gets between us and God. If we go back to the first messages in this series, man is the one that sinned, but God was the one that immediately put in put in place a plan that would allow us to come back to him, even though 
We are the ones that sin. The atonement. God sent his only son to die. And his blood saves us. Does God's love toward us speak any louder than that? That he would give us. That he would allow his son to be crucified. And his blood to flow freely from that cross. His redemption through Jesus. And we had nothing to do with these actions. God put everything within reach of sinful man to repent and to find salvation through Jesus. Why? Because of his overwhelming love for us and his desire for us to experience heaven with him for just a little? No, for all eternity. God bless you as you live for him. Let's kneel for prayer.